Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. I have had the blessing of serving as senior pastor and preaching God's Word verse by verse here at First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs for the last 22 years. I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. While these messages are not meant to replace your involvement in a local church, I sincerely pray that they will be a blessing to you and your family. May God bless you as you seek Him with all your heart, soul, and mind. Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Luke, the 16th chapter. Luke, the 16th chapter. While you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of um, announcement or description or insight, whatever you want to call it, about what's coming up on our pre- in the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs. Uh, of course, next week we will be in... Um, our homes worshiping as uh, our YouTube channel kicks in for you. And the following week, I will be in Uganda. Um, and uh, if you look for me, they're going to say, he's Ganda. But anyway, um, I will be in Uganda. We will be there for uh, some days. And Cole, our family minister, will be preaching in my stead. And I know you're going to be encouraged and blessed and informed and everything that preaching needs to accomplish with his message. And the following week, hopefully I'll be back. Um, We will be preaching on the subject, why? We're continuing this question of why should you be saved today. But that Sunday we'll be preaching on why should you be saved because there's a heaven to gain. And then we will look at why should you be saved because there is a hope to have. And we'll be going through those wonderful messages and why should you be saved because there's a Savior who was born. And so um, I'm looking forward uh, to those uh, messages and I pray you are too. Last week we, we asked the question that a jailer, a man who ran a jailhouse in Philippi, ancient Greece, asked, What must I do to be saved? And Paul said to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. We also considered briefly a question that was asked in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. What must we do after Peter preached the very first sermon of the church ever? The first day of the first church. What must I do? What must we do? The people asked. And Peter said, uh, repent and be baptized and unite with the church and serve the Lord and grow in the Lord. That's the whole package. But we also centered on the fact that that is not the question being asked in the world that we live in around America today. The question today is, why? Why why should we even bother? Why do we need Jesus as a Savior? Why do we even need a Savior? I mean, most of us are going to go home today or go to a restaurant today and we're going to eat our fill and we're not going to go to bed with with hungry bellies. Most of us are going to go somewhere this afternoon maybe and we're going to say, which car do you want to take? I mean, we're going to do all right. And times are good. You know, in America, folks, times are good even when times are not as good as they used to be. And so the the question today is, why? What difference does it make? I I see some folks who 
who uh, are church folks, and, and they don't live much different than I do. I mean, I, I visited their church one day, and during the song service, they just sat there with a frown on their face. They're no happier than I am. Why do I need Jesus? Their behavior doesn't, doesn't change. I mean, uh, it's, it's uh, already the end of October. That means the end of the year is coming up. That means tax time's coming up. Some lost guy says, well, they cheat on their income tax just like I do. What difference does Jesus make? Why do I need Jesus? And so last week we started answering that question, and we went to John chapter 16, and I gave you three reasons from John 16, why you need Jesus. Number one, because God is offended at sin. Number two, because God offers you salvation from the guilt of your sin. And number three, because there is no other offer that God makes. Jesus is the only offer He makes. The cross is the only call He issues to you to be saved from your sin. It's the only way. But today, we're going to look at another answer to that question. Why do you need to be saved? And the answer today, in keeping with last week, is this. Because there is a hell to avoid. There is a hell to escape. There is a hell to avoid. I know this doctrine of hell is not readily preached in today's pulpit. You, you, you very rarely turn on the, the radio to a radio preacher or messenger, messenger, teacher, and hear much about the doctrine of hell. As a matter of fact, in our country, I would say for the most part that, that these young people maybe even you, we hear more jokes about it than we do truth about it. We hear more disdain about it. We, we hear it in conversations that really don't have any truth to them whatsoever. As a matter of fact, it's just a, a profane word to many. But the Bible does teach about hell and it's very upfront about it. Jesus talked more about it than he did heaven. And he talks about it in our text. Um, today, in pulpits across the land and among theologians, there's four ways people look at hell in this postmodern age that we live in. Many just ignore it. They don't even talk about it. The problem with that is, is if a preacher is going to preach the whole counsel of God, the Word of God, he's going to have to deal with it sooner or later. And he's going to have to get to it. And uh, we're getting to it uh, today. Um, and then another approach that, uh, to hell that you might uh, have heard or, or hear preached is they symbolize it. They teach that the pictures of hell, fire, agony, darkness, um, a lake of fire, what we're going to read in our text in a moment, that these are just symbols. They're just symbols of life without God's goodness and grace. Well, well the problem is what in particular are they symbolizing? I mean, what, what does it symbolize? Your guess is as good as mine. And then some reject hell altogether. Totally and completely refuse to believe what the Bible teaches about hell. Many of these will be uh, will claim a new birth, to be born again, to be strong Christians, and yet reject any, any notion of hell at all in the Scriptures. I do not know how to do that. And, and let me ask you a question. 
how, how much do you have to disagree or disbelieve Jesus before you can't be a Christian? How much do you have to say, well, Jesus uh, was off on this. He, he really didn't teach that. How, how much do you have to disbelieve before you're no longer a believer? And then, I'll add this to my list. There's some who enjoy it. You remember, I've heard people say, Boy, I love the old hellfire and brimstone preachers. Let me just say this. I would not want a pastor who enjoyed hellfire and brimstone preaching. You've got to have a burden for people. And, and, and you know, we've we got to have compassion for people who are facing hell in their future. But back to the list here. There's some today, and this is the majority uh, of those who reject what the Scriptures say about hell. This is big today. If you listen to a, uh, to a, uh, a preacher or read a book on hell... In the last 15 years, maybe, I, I can't remember exactly how far back, maybe 15 years uh, to 20 years, this is where they're going to stand on hell. They're going to redefine hell. And um, some would say that, that hell is total annihilation. In other words, you receive Christ, you escape hell, that means you get to live forever in heaven. But if you reject Christ, you are totally annihilated at death. You no longer exist at all. And, and that's, that's the doctrine that's taught today. And that sure is a lot easier, isn't it? And then some would say that hell is um, not eternal. And I'm not talking about purgatory. That's... There, there's no reason to, to preach on purgatory because that's, you wouldn't have a Bible message. Purgatory is not taught in the Scriptures. But there's some who t- would teach that hell is not an eternal place for people. That eventually everybody is going to be saved. And you spend any time in hell, you're going to realize, I wish I had received Christ. And one day you will receive Christ. The problem with that is, is, is you read what Jesus said about hell, what John wrote about hell, uh, and what many biblical authors wrote about hell, you see no escape from it. It's an eternal place. And man is an eternal being. We're, we're created with an eternity. And the fourth way, another way to, to look at hell, the fifth way that we want to talk about is just how the Bible teaches it. Just what does the Bible say about hell. And there's many texts of Scripture we could go to. But I want to go to Luke 16, verse 19 through 31, a premier text on hell. So let's read what Jesus had to say about it. Let's read Jesus' words. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, in addition to eating crumbs from the rich man's table, desiring those crumbs, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried. And said, Father Abraham, 
Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in your lifetime received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things, evil things. But now he is comforted. And you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, between me and Lazarus and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they who would pass from here to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from where you are. Then the rich man said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. They have the Old Testament. They have the Word of God, the Bible. Let them hear the Word of God. Let them hear Moses and the prophets. And he said, No, no, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So, there are three men in this text. And the three of them together give us a picture, an understanding of the reality of hell. And what what it's like, and why... You need to avoid it. Why? You need to be saved from hell. So first, we see Jesus. He's the one who is telling us this story. He is the one who is expounding on hell. So Jesus expounded on hell. He preached on hell. Jesus spoke more on hell than he did on heaven. And he spoke on heaven, but he also gave much information, much truth, much doctrine about the reality of hell. So let's look in this text and see some in this text of what Jesus teaches us about hell. In verse 23, Jesus tells us first of all that hell is a place of consciousness. The Bible says, Jesus said, this man in hell lifted up his eyes. He was awake and he was aware of his environment and his surroundings. See, hell is not some twilight zone la-la land. It's not some figurative place. In hell, people see, people speak, people experience it. They are conscious of everything, their surroundings. It is as real as this place right now. You have senses here, you will have senses in hell. Second, Jesus taught in verse 23 that hell is a place of torment. Verse 23... It's a place where agony takes place. Torment. This word torment is used throughout the Bible. It's an interesting word. Two times, only two times it speaks of hell. Torment in hell. The other times it speaks of disease or human suffering. 
of some kind of the worst kind on this planet. He also taught, verse 24, that hell is a place of where mercy is not offered. Mercy is not provided. The man could see across the way. And he said, please just send Lazarus over here. And let him take his finger and dip it in some water and come and touch my tongue. At least just that much mercy. Just that much mercy. But it was not granted. Even if it were granted, the mercy would have been no good. It, it, the, it would have evaporated before he could touch his tongue. So even that little insignificant bit of mercy was not allowed. Did not find place in hell. In verse 24, he also taught that Hell is a place of fire and flame. In Revelation 20 and verse 10, it says, And the devil that deceived them in the end of days, the devil who deceived them would be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where there's the beast and the false prophet, these evil powers and entities that will rise up in the end of days. And they shall be tormented day and night, forever and ever. And Revelation 20 and verse 15 says, And those whose names were not found in the Lamb's book of life were cast into the lake of fire. And so, hell now and then in the future will be a place of fire and flame. That's what Jesus is teaching about hell. Notice, I'm not trying to explain how that can be. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to say, this is what Jesus says about hell. He says it'll be a place of fire and flame. And then in verse 26, he taught that hell is an eternal place for eternal beings. In verse 26, there's this great gulf means there's no way out. No way out. It's an eternal place. We're going to see in a moment, man is an eternal creature. And wherever he is, he's an eternal being. Right now, you're in your body. Your spirit, your soul's in your body. That's where you are, and it's on earth. Well, physical death is the separation of the body of the soul from the body. And it's either in heaven or hell. We learn that from Luke 16. This is where these two men went, respectively. Lazarus to Abraham's bosom, paradise, heaven, or to hell, the lake of fire. And so, you are an eternal person. And right now, you're in this temporal body. Well, one day this body, this, this body is the only thing about us that's not eternal. Isn't that amazing? And the older we get, the more we realize that, the more we experience that. But also, the longer you know Jesus as your Savior, you experience that eternal life, that life of Christ within you. And, and you recognize your body's temporal but you recognize because when you grow in Christ, the things of earth grow strangely dim as you go day by day. But here he taught that hell is an eternal place and this great gulf, and he says this gulf is fixed. Not only, not, not only when, when the rich man and Lazarus we're experiencing this, was it fixed? But it's always fixed. It's not going to change. There always will be no way in, no way out from one another. 
So that's what Jesus said in this text. But there's a second man, and he's unnamed. Now, tradition gives him a name, but Scripture doesn't give him a name. Tradition calls him Dives, but uh, Scripture doesn't give him a name. So we're going to call him the unnamed man. The unnamed man, he experienced hell. He experienced hell. Notice something interesting about this man we read in the text. He had everything this world desires and affords back then. He, he lived very well. He had wealth. The Bible says he's rich. He had self-sufficiency. He dressed himself in fine clothes every day. He had plenty of food. He um, lived for that day in the lap of luxury. Now, not one thing inherently wrong with that. Matter of fact, I'm going to see in a couple of weeks just how luxurious my life is. When I'm preaching on Sunday underneath a tree. And you're in an air conditioned or, and or heated, whatever the weather's going to be that day. Here. And, and so nothing inherently wrong with, with this. This is not what sent him to hell. You say, well, surely, Dr. Mike, his stinginess, his, 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 the fact that Lazarus was at the gate, his gates of his house, desiring to eat the crumbs from his table. So let's say that the, the, the rich man brought the crumbs from his table to him. He, he, he had the whole loaf of bread, but the crumbs he brought to Lazarus. Surely that's why he went to hell. He should have brought some of the loaf of bread instead of the scraps. And, and, and so maybe that's why he went to hell, because he didn't share the whole loaf, he just took the crumbs. Surely that's why he went to hell. If you believe that, you need to be careful. You need to be careful. Because everybody I know who takes something to the thrift store does not go to the Dillard's or the Macy's. And buy brand new stuff with the tag still on it. And takes it to the thrift store. No, you don't do that. You go to your closet. And get the crumbs. And take them to the thrift store. Woo! So, we got to be careful about being hard on this rich man. Amen. If you're going to donate your car to 1-800-CARS-FOR-KIDS, you don't go to the dealership and buy the brand new BMW and take it to Cars for Kids. No, no, you don't do that. You don't, you don't take it to St. Jude and say, here you go. You take your 350,000-mile old clunker and give it. The crumbs. So we got to be careful when we're judging this old boy right here. All right? He, he might have been just like us, just living and enjoying years of hard work. He, he might have been just uh, saying, boy, life is good for me. I, I want to I, I give back a little bit. So, you know... My wife is eating this piece of bread. I'm eating this piece of bread. My children are eating this piece of bread. And we got butter on it. 
But when we bite into that bread, sometimes the crumbs fall, we'll scrape them off, and we'll give that. I think that's what we do most of the time. There's one of you who's got it. Amen. I think the rest of you do. Amen. And so, we can't be too hard on this man. That can't be why he went to hell. Because if that's the case, probably nobody, at least no American that I know, nobody down here in the wealthiest town in the state of Mississippi is saved and going to heaven. We are a crummy people. Amen. So, uh, why is it? Why did he go to hell? Well, he knows why he went to hell. He knows exactly why he went to hell. And he tells us later on in the story. And he says... Father Abraham, see, he was a religious man. Father Abraham. He knew who Abraham was. He knew he was the father of the Jewish faith, the father of our faith. He knew that. Father Abraham, if, if, if Lazarus can't come with a wet finger and show mercy to him, can you send him to my father's house? Send him to my father's house because I've got five brothers. And they're just like me. They're just like me. And convince them because I know if Lazarus shows up, resurrected from the dead, they'll believe what he has to say and they will repent. And so the rich man knows he's in hell because he did not repent. And he knows his brothers are going to go to hell if, if, if they don't repent. doesn't have anything to do with the crumbs. Perhaps if he had repented, he might have gave him a little bit more of the loaf, but he's in hell because he didn't repent. Didn't turn from his sin. Didn't turn to Christ. Didn't receive the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus. He didn't repent. That's what he says. Is that what he said in the text? They will repent. He didn't say they will give some of the loaf instead of the crumbs. He said they will repent of their sin. I didn't repent, but maybe they will. And look, look. Abraham said, oh no. They have Moses. Genesis through Deuteronomy. They have the prophets. They have the prophets. Joshua through Malachi. They have the word of God. They have preachers. They have friends. They have co-workers. They have people on mission. Telling them what the Bible says about heaven and hell. They're going to hear them. They won't, they, they won't, they won't repent if, even though somebody raises from the dead. And let me let my sanctified imagination run. This did not happen. It's not in the story. But just say if that man said, you don't think that if somebody ri rises from the dead... That they would be saved, they would repent when they see the resurrection. You don't think they, they would repent? Abraham would say, no. Jesus rose again 2,000 years ago, and they still hadn't repented. So they need the Word of God proclaimed to them. They need somebody on mission to sit down with the New Testament and say, let me show you how you can be saved and why you need to be saved from your sin. 
They need somebody on mission. They need, they need somebody to invite them to an old-fashioned Bible-preaching church where they'll hear the Word of God preached and the gospel that Jesus died for their sins was buried and rose again and can save them from the guilt of sin and hell. They need the Word of God. The Word of God is what's powerful here. The Holy Spirit will take the Word of God and do His work. That's what's powerful here. And so, he didn't go to hell because of the crumbs. He went to hell because he rejected Christ and repentance. That's what he said. He admitted that. They will repent. I didn't repent, but, but sin Lazarus, they'll repent. No, no, they won't. They've got the Word of God. they got the Word of God. Wouldn't it be something if we all got to heaven and five men met us at the gate and said, we got a brother in hell but we saved because somebody shared with us the Word of God. And we repented of our sin. So, this man experienced hell because he did not turn from his sin and turn toward Christ. And so, what, what was his experience? Well, first of all, agony. He, he, he speaks of the torment and the agony. Mark chapter 9 is another text of Scripture where Jesus speaks of hell. And I want to read to you this. And folks, do not take this lightly. This is awful. And, and you see, when a person is saved, they are regenerated. The Holy Spirit gives them life in Christ, the life of Christ in Christ. And... They are redeemed. And one day their bodies will be resurrected to glory. But those who are lost and without Christ, listen to this. Jesus said, if your hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. And he's not telling you to cut off your heart. The Bible doesn't teach that. What Jesus is telling us is, Look, take drastic measures to come to Christ. The issue is serious. And then he says, where their worm, in hell, where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. And he says that in this text, Mark 9, 43 through 48, several times where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. When Jesus was on the cross, according to the psalmist, the, the prophetic psalm, looks at Jesus on the cross ahead in prophecy, and, and it's as if God is saying, I am a worm. And it is when Jesus took our sin and became sin for us, He took the sin curse and the worm dies not. This idea of a worm is the corruption of man. It's a Hebraism. It's a figure of speech speaking of the corruption of man. In hell, one will suffer the corruption of the body that we do here. Can you feel pain here? In hell there is pain. In heaven the curse is removed. There's no pain. No curse, no pain. But there's no redemption in hell, not even of the body. But that is a resurrection to the, of the unjust. And they will be in hell, and their worm dies not. Their body is not redeemed. It is eternity without glorification. It is eternity without the redemption of the body. When somebody passes away after suffering death, that they know Jesus, we often say, and so we should say, they're in no more pain. No more suffering because they're in heaven. But in hell, the corruption does not cease. That's a terrible explanation, but it's truth. A second thing this man experienced in hell, not only was agony, but agreement. You notice that this man doesn't shake his fist at God and say, You're so unfair to put me down here. 
How dare you? You claim to be a loving God. How dare you put me down here? This man didn't do that. This man asked for mercy. You don't ask for mercy unless you know you're getting what you deserve. This man agreed with God. One thing that will not be in hell that is often in the church is an argument against God. There's no argument here. This man stands where he stands and knows it and agrees with it. Agrees with it. When he asked for a cool drop of water and it was not granted, there was no arguing. He wasn't some spoiled child, keep on, keep on, keep on till he gets it. He moved on to the next thing, the concern for his brothers. And then there's a third thing this man experienced in hell, and that's anxiety. He had a burden for the lost. In hell, he had a burden for his five brothers who were lost. There's an old-time sermon I heard years ago from an old-time country preacher. And he preached on five things in hell that ought to be in the church. And one of them was a burden and a concern for the lost. For people to be saved. These white balls, they picture for us people we're praying for, we're concerned about who need to be saved today. And we need a burden for them. You pray. Don't quit praying for your mission. Keep praying for them. And keep seizing every opportunity and always ask God to give you a burden and a broken heart for them and their lostness. And then the third person is Lazarus. Lazarus escaped hell. While the unnamed man had it all in life, Lazarus had nothing. He had no wealth and he had no health. He had to fight stray dogs for food and to fight over the contents of the rich man's garbage can. He had no one to care for him, really. The word in verse 20 where it says, And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was laid at the rich man's gate full of sores. That's his health. Laid is an interesting word. It, it, it does not imply a loving family saying, we're going to put you somewhere where you can get some help. It means to throw down carelessly. To throw down carelessly. The Amplified Bible says he was carelessly laid down. The people who put him at the rich man's gate, they couldn't care less for it. Get him out of the way. Perhaps he was a beggar in the marketplace, and they said, we don't want him in front of our shops, let's get him over here. Well, where do you want to put him? Well, there's a rich man, let's go take him to Beverly Hills. Let's go, let's go take him to Ocean Springs and put him in front of one of those houses over there. Surely, he'll at least get some crumbs. And so, that, that's... that's but that's not why he is in heaven. Don't think that for a minute. That's not why he is in heaven. So here are some observations. We know his name. His name is Lazarus. This is how we know that this is not a parable. Parables do not use common names. You say, well, how come we don't know the rich man's name? Because Proverbs 10, 7 says, the memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. Somewhere in the last 2,000 years, the rich man's name rotted away, and we don't know it. But the name of those who were justified by the blood of Jesus, and have been born again, and are cleansed in Christ Jesus and their home is in heaven, the name of the just is blessed, and we rejoice with our brother Lazarus in glory today. And so we have that indication just by knowing his name. Let me ask you something. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? If it is, you are above all blessed beyond measure. Amen. 
And then in verse 22, I want you to see something else. He was ministered to at death. The Bible says when he died, the angels of glory, I don't know which angels they were. I don't know their names, but I know angels were sent down and they escorted him into glory. Have you ever been in the room with a dying saint of God? I want to tell you, I've, I've, I've had the privilege of being a pastor for, for quite a while now, and I've been in the room when many saints of God, God have gone on to glory, gone on to heaven. And I just back away and let the family have their time and, and, and hold that dear loved one's hand as they go off into eternity. But I always in my mind and in my heart have a warmth that penetrates my soul. That last breath, I seem to sense that something special has just happened. Angels of God, angels have come down and they've escorted him in to glory. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Ah, it's a wonderful thing. Angels taking you on to heaven. Amen. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know if I'm going to be raptured when Jesus comes back or if I'm going to die and y'all all come to my funeral or what have you. I don't know. But I know one thing. There may be a hearse carrying me to the cemetery, but a hearse of angels going to carry me to glory. Amen. <laughs> oh, Lazarus, escorted into heaven. My mama was escorted into heaven. My grandparents were escorted into heaven. I know many loved ones, many people who served with me in, my, in this church and my other three local churches through the years that I've pastored, escorted into glory. And that's what happened to old Lazarus, and escorted into glory. But those in hell don't have such escort. The Bible says they are cast into the lake of fire. Jesus even makes a difference at death. And then a third thing, he was the envy of the rich man in verse 23. The rich man saw him across the great gulf, that consciousness, and recognized him. And recognized him. I... You know, heaven, or rather hell, is a place where the fortunes of this world will be reversed. Blessed are the poor in spirit here, for they are rich in glory. But there's a lot of folks who are rich in everything else, rich in pride and everything else. And in hell, they're in poverty. They can't even get a touch of a wet finger on their tongue. He who had everything in life had nothing in death. He who had nothing in life gained everything in death. To die is gain when to live is Christ. What made the difference? One simple word, repent. Repentance. The rich man did not repent, turn from sin and turn toward Christ Lazarus repented and turned to Christ and got a heavenly escort. So there's no joy in this message today unless somebody is saved. And so what do you do? How do you respond to this? What's the invitation today? I'm about to give the invitation. Three things. Number one, if you're saved and you know Jesus Christ as Savior and you believe the Word of God, why don't you have a white ball in that bucket right there? Why aren't you on mission for somebody? Why should somebody, why should that loved one, that friend, that co-worker that you work with, that, that person you go to school with, that you play ball with, why shouldn't you care for them to be saved? Because there's a hell to avoid, that's why. There's a hell to avoid. Another thing. An invitation for you is to have confidence in the Word of God. To have confidence in the gospel of Christ. To have confidence in the Holy Spirit. 
Folks, I don't have any confidence in anything up here preaching except for the contents of this book energized and taken to your heart and mind by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only confidence I got. My grammar's sometimes bad. I spit all over the place sometimes. I'm topsy-turvy up here. But I want to tell you something. I believe this book will never return void. It'll make heaven sweeter or hell hotter. And that's up to you. That's up to you. I have confidence in the Word of God. And then the third invitation is this. If you're not 100% certain, church member, guest, visitor, young, middle-aged, old, whatever you are, if you're not 100% certain that if you died today that you'd go to heaven, that means you've got at least 1% certain you're going to go to hell. That's too much. If you're not 100% certain that if you died today that you'd go to heaven, the invitation is for you to settle it today, avoid hell today, by turning from yourself and your sin and your efforts to please God and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you on the cross, took your penalty, went to the grave and rose again. And give your life to Jesus. And we're here to help you. We're here to help you. What we're going to do is we're going to pray and we're going to stand. And we're going to sing a song. We call it an invitation, a song of appeal. And if those three invitations have spoken to you and you want to respond, you come on down. And I'll be right here. And Cole will be right here, the family minister, and you just tell us what you want to do. You might say, Lord, you might say, preacher, the Lord's convicted me. I need a mission, and I need to know what to do to get a mission. We'll tell you that. Maybe you need to say, preacher, I don't have a lot of confidence in the Word of God. I'm, I'm, I'm maneuvering around and, and trying to, 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 to manipulate people to come to Jesus. I need to repent of that, and I just need to have confidence in the gospel of Christ and It's like a lion. You turn it loose and it roars. And then maybe you need to be saved. You need Jesus as your Savior. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Come on down and we'll show you how you can be saved. 